Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Hacking Your Potential podcast with Frankie Thomas. Join Frankie and uncover the secrets of those who achieved greatness. Let their wisdom and experience inspire you to transcend mediocrity and strive for excellence. Take the first step towards an extraordinary life and start your journey today. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey there, listeners. Frankie Thomas here, welcoming you back to Hacking Your Potential. Get ready because today we've got a special guest who's a mastermind in cybersecurity and an absolute powerhouse in the community. Please welcome my mentor and friend, Jason. I first crossed paths with Jason on LinkedIn, spotting his impressive OSCP certification, I knew I needed to learn from this guy. After many enlightening video calls, Jason didn't just become a guiding light in my cybersecurity journey, he also became a true friend. As a kid, Jason was always the one who wanted to know how things worked, especially when it came to tech. This curiosity sparked a fire for ethical hacking. After years of dedication and a little bit of help from his friends, he managed to tackle the challenging OSEP exam. But he didn't stop there. No way. He took on the API penetration testing, honing his skills at API Sec University. Today, he is out there hunting bugs, making the digital world a safer place. But Jason is not just about bits and bytes. He holds a degree in criminal justice and criminology and has made a big impact in his community. As the director of Blade Runners, he is dedicated to supporting teens from tough backgrounds, helping them secure jobs and the support they need to turn their lives around. And when he's not breaking code or building communities, you'll find Jason in the jiu-jitsu mat. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu enthusiast who's even faced off in local competitions. It's a tough sport that requires grit and discipline, qualities Jason brings to everything he does. Jason's journey is about passion, dedication, and the drive to make a difference. It's a story that shows us what we can achieve when we refuse to give up. So let's dive into this adventure and learn from the best. Please join me in giving a big round of applause for Jason on Hacking Your Potential. Hello, Jason. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Definitely honored to, uh, you know, be on this journey with you. So thank you. Jason, it's my absolute pleasure to have you on the show today, mate. And I'm really excited to hear about your journey. So how do you say we get started with how did you get interested in cybersecurity? How did it all start for you? Yeah, for sure. So I think, um, you know, really identifying uh, my cybersecurity journey is definitely, you know, um, coming from 1995, uh, when I first saw the movie Hackers. And that seemed to be such an inspiring pivot point in my life where I definitely wanted to get into some sort of cybersecurity realm. I was active on the internet, just learning, you know, learning how to, how to navigate web pages and had done a few, you know, HTML kind of websites back then, but nothing really, uh, of significance. But when I saw the hackers movie, I was like, yeah, this is definitely, um, where I'd like to be. Um, and so that kind of sent me on a journey. You know, I was, a, I was a young kid. I was trying to figure out how to, you know, learn and learn a Linux system when there wasn't very many, very much information out there on the internet at that time. And so, you know, it was, you know, hit or miss on what, what, uh, learning, 
paths I could uh, get a hold of through, you know, web crawler and stuff like that before Google ever existed and just trying to reach out to people on bulletin board systems and that kind of stuff. And I think the, you know, I think a really welcoming part of, you know, kind of the hacker community and cybersecurity community is that there's a lot of people out there that are willing to help. Um, there's su- it's such a, such a positive uh, environment to kind of exist in, you know, you, you, you always see people helping each other out. And I think that that's how we met and uh yeah that's that's kind of how it started no you're absolutely right man it's probably one of the best communities i've ever um been a part of everybody's trying to help each other and uh the hacker movie as well i have to thank you for putting that on to me i'd never heard of it before <laughs> till you uh told me about a great movie if any of you haven't seen it you should uh go out and watch the old hacker movie um it was like 1988 is it or 1980 something the movie of when it was out yeah, well, oh, how old I, is it? Like, I don't quote me, but I think it was like 1994, 1995. I'll have to Google it. Oh, of course, they had um, they had the Prodigy sort of rave music then at the nineties rave music. That's right. Yeah. So I guess you're right there. So um, so how did you tra- transition from you know being an enthusiast to um gaining your OSCP? So how did you go from enthusiast to professional? Well, I uh, so I didn't actually go into cybersecurity traditionally. Uh, when I was a younger one, I've actually um, been involved in social services kind of my whole life. I've been, uh, you know, taking care of the community and and uh, working with high risk youth and stuff like that. And, um, you know, being involved in, in tech uh, wasn't necessarily a professional path that I chose. What I really was was more of a hobbyist. I would, you know. You know, build networks at home, you know, mess around with a bunch of different technology and kind of just, uh, you know, explore it. But I didn't truly start getting into cybersecurity until um, until COVID hit. Right. So when COVID happened and, the, you know, the, the world kind of shut down collectively, I'd really started to, you know, kind of examine, you know, how, how much energy I was putting into uh, social service work. And, you know, and it's a really taxing job. You know, you're taking care of people's mental health, you're taking care of their, you know, addictions, you're providing support. And so uh, a byproduct of that is, you know, you're kind of sacrificing a lot of yourself in it, right? So you're giving up your time, you're giving up your energy and stuff like that. So I really wanted to kind of start choosing a path that was a little bit more geared for myself in kind of a more selfish way. And, you know, I initially was like, well, maybe I can experience or uh, at least explore a little bit of software development and which I did. And that became a little bit repetitive to me. It didn't really have any kind of flair to it. And cybersecurity and ethical hacking was something that was always kind of existed in the back of my mind. And so COVID, man, uh, you know, the world was shut down. I took a shot and I started doing a little bit of research and I discovered that, you know, offensive security had this certification that was kind of at the time, the holy grail of what everybody wanted to achieve. And that was something that I just decided that I was going to sit down and really challenge myself with. And I've always uh, been a person that likes to challenge myself and take on new tasks and, you know, learn things. I've consistently been learning, you know, anything I possibly could. Um, not necessarily an expert in, in everything that I've learned, but definitely a jack of all trades type of person. I love to explore new realms and stuff like that. So yeah, OSCP was something that, uh, 
was on the bucket list. So I had signed up and yeah, and now we're here, man. And it's been an incredible journey to, to, to make that choice to actually follow through with taking on that, that task. And, you know, from then and now it's been, it's been such a ride. I just want to say, man, it's, um, knowing you personally, it's a noble thing that you do helping these, these young kids and stuff, man. And, um, I think, um, when you said about being selfish, I think it's, it's really important to have that selfish element. Cause you know, how are you supposed to help these young kids if you're, if you're incapable of do, helping yourself kind of thing? So you need to be able to do things for yourself to help these kids do things for themselves. You know, it's, I think that's really important aspect. So I think you've played it really well. Uh, so one one question I one question I didn't actually get around to asking you because I think I I think I met you when you were working on APIs and um what how what led to that how did you start getting into the API penetration stuff? That that's actually a great question because when I was doing OSCP and was really thinking about going after kind of a, a cybersecurity kind of direction. Um, in my brain, it was all about breaking into security networks and popping shells and, you know, hacking the Gibson and all that stuff. That's a hacker's reference. Um, but I was very fortunate enough to actually be introduced to, you know, a, a few kind of local hackers around uh, my local community. And I was given an opportunity uh, after I'd gotten my OSCP to do a couple of engagements with them. And I actually haven't talked to him previously before uh, me and you decided to uh, or agreed to this podcast. So I'm not going to use his real name, but uh, uh, one of his internet names is Old Row. And Old Row actually um, hired me on, on on a couple of engagements that he that he had. And he really gave me like a kind of like a, my foot in the door and really gave me an opportunity to actually do my own pen tests. And through that, we had, you know, engaged in a couple of, uh, a, a few web applications. And through that journey and through that experience, I discovered that I actually really, really enjoy testing APIs and stuff like that. It's like, uh, it, it was a, it was an area of, of, um, of cybersecurity that I had actually avoided because it was all about, you know, Nmap and shells and Metasploit and all that stuff. And I, you know, I'd kind of um, disregarded in a way, you know, API testing. But when I was given the opportunity to actually do it, um, I, I, I fell in love with it a little bit because it was so fun. And in, in a lot of ways, it was uh, an area that I wasn't familiar with. So I had to learn on the spot. And I think that going through that journey and, 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 and testing it in real time and, and getting that opportunity, it was, it, it was such a, you know, such a godsend in a way because it really kind of decided the trajectory that I wanted to go into afterwards, which is why I had started really delving into, um, you know, going down an API journey. And, you know, it started with, you know, um, a great book called Hacking APIs. And it's by a, a good author named Corey J. Ball. And Corey J. Ball it ended up, you know, kind of developing this online um, kind of 
university in a, in a way to um, test a lot of the material that's in his book. So that's where I really, um, you know, found my, my learning curve, right? So I'm, I'm not necessarily good with being able to read stuff in a book and then put it to, put it to test, whereas I'm more visual and audio learner. So when I was reading the book, he had launched the API university. And so I had stopped halfway through the book and I was like, okay, I'm going to jump all over that. And so I went through, uh, all of the curriculum on there and it's it's such a wealth of knowledge and you know if anybody out there is you know interested in doing any kind of api work like definitely check out that book definitely check out the online content because it's a wealth of a wealth of knowledge oh no um i haven't read the book myself but i haven't even been on the university yet but um i will leave a link in the resources for um for our viewers who want to go and check out the book and um, want to check out the university but uh, can you tell us about your experience with the API University or the UP, what is it, API Sec University? Yeah, so I mean, it's just like kind of any other, you know, learning resource, right? There's so many different learning resources. I was just kind of on board with doing, you know, API University because it was attached to to, to the book that I was reading. But it's pretty, it's it's a pretty, you know, well structured and well thought out. Um, um, curriculum, you know, it starts from the from the basics at the beginning, and then you start adding on uh, more tasks after that, and you start going through um, a bunch of different API testing, how to you know how to uh, enumerate, and then how to test, how to you know, it just kind of gets you into uh, thinking. So yeah, no, that's great, man. So um, obviously, you, so you did the API Sec University. I know you you went through Port Swigger as well, right? I did, yeah. I, well, I mean, there's there's so many different Port Swigger labs, and and anybody that's interested in doing any kind of you know web application testing and stuff, it you know it's it's definitely uh, mandatory to go through some of those Port Swigger labs because they definitely teach you um, what you need to know and or when it comes to any kind of web web application testing. Well, the reason I asked you is because. Um... You've this all the API um, penetration testing you've learned and the web application. I'm guessing this has led you down the road of becoming a newly formed bug bounty hunter. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been getting involved in quite a few kind of bug bounty um, engagements in the in the past few months, and um, it was it's it's been a it's it's been a really interesting kind of. Um, experience going going through that so it's you know before i'd been hired on to do these engagements but when you do bug bounty right you you're really just putting yourself out there and trying to you know be the first one to to possibly find a vulnerability in a web application or an environment and so you know you don't necessarily get paid until you find something so that it 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 it, it really forces you to challenge yourself yeah the interview i had with um anton it's going to be out in next next week and uh, his his views on bug bounty, um, as someone who's never done them before, it's it is really eye open, and uh, I imagine you'll be able to relate to him quite well. But um, I was I was wondering, um, do you have any like fascinating stories about bug bounties you found that you can publicly share with us? Uh for sure. I mean, without mentioning any names, I just recently was doing a test on a pretty well-known web application out there for, uh, you know, uh, I guess I'll have to, I guess I'll say uh, sporting events and stuff like that. And um, they had an endpoint on there that would test, 
to see if there was an existing user. So the idea of the endpoint was if you put in your email address, then it would test against the server to see if that email address had already been used for uh, a user uh, on a sign-up kind of login form. And I was testing around with it a little bit, trying to figure out, you know, if it would give me back any kind of information or disclose anything. But I, you know, just doing a bunch of different little kind of, you know, tests here, tests there, you know, checking for SQL, that kind of stuff. But what I actually did is I started punching in numbers instead of the intended way that the API endpoint was supposed to, you know, it's supposed to test for the beginning at and then Gmail, right? But instead of doing that, I was punching in numbers, which is kind of like a IDOR, IDOR um, vulnerability. And what ended up happening is when I punched in like zero and one and two and three in the response, it would give, it would disclose a world of information. Like, um, we're talking names, usernames, um, credit card information, um, addresses, stuff like that. And so, and that's definitely not intended. So I went down that path a little bit more and ended up pulling down records for, you know, well over, well over a thousand users. And, um, I reported that. And interestingly enough, it went to triage in with, uh, with the bug bounty team. But however, I haven't heard any updates back from that. So that was, that, that one's a really interesting one. Um, I did one just a couple nights ago where I was testing kind of like a banner. So, you know, you know, when you log into a web application and, and, uh, it go, you know, it goes like, hello, Frankie, welcome back like that, that kind of functionality. So I have figured out a way to actually get that Hello Frankie piece to actually um, solve some math. So I have remote code execution on it. I just haven't really figured out how to get it to disclose information yet. But then again, I that was just a, a couple of hours of testing. So I'm looking forward to getting back to that one. Now it's really wicked, man. I asked you that question on purpose. I was hoping you were going to uh, say about that story. Cause uh, yeah, that was a, that was a wicked find, man. Uh, even I was excited. Even I was excited for you, man. Yeah. No. So uh, yeah, I'm. I still haven't heard back from them, but I'm hoping it goes somewhere. I don't think it's going to be duplicate. Uh, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. No, it's wicked. Um, I just want to ask you a question, though, for people who are like trying to transition into like I don't know ethical hacking or cybersecurity from other roles like how would you compare like ethical hacking and penetration testing to like other fields you work in or have worked in other fields well i well well I, i've worked in social services for you know most of, most of my working life and so there's you know there's a few parallels that you can definitely kind of identify which you know is definitely a, you know transferable skills in a way i mean you have to have you know the utmost respect for privacy right you 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 have access to information when you're an ethical hacker or penetration tester and you know a lot of the contracts that people will go out there and do or the engagements that they do they are you know designated non-disclosure agreements and stuff like that right so that you know that that's a that's one parallel another parallel you know especially because you spoke a little bit about you know kind of um my jujitsu experience and stuff like that with combat sports. I find that jujitsu and, and, uh, you know, cybersecurity have some really interesting parallels that I discovered, you know, once I started getting into cybersecurity that I didn't know existed. Right. And so there's one thing about jujitsu when you're doing it is like, there's 
no other way to do it by just putting in the work, right? You have to go there. You have to do the lessons. You have to continue practicing. You have to keep going and doing it and doing it over and over again. And there's always somewhere, always someone that's maybe just a little bit better than you and you can learn off them or they learn off you. And it's just this really, really interesting kind of um parallel that exists between those two worlds because there's this really interesting kind of you know um commitment with people who are in the jiu-jitsu community where it's like you know you just have to get one percent better every day just one percent better one percent better just keep going keep going keep going show up show up and that you have to do that in cybersecurity, right there's no other way that you are going to be able to be successful in cybersecurity than by showing up. You have to do the work. Nobody else is going to be able to do it for you. You have to learn the skills in order for you to be successful. I think with most things, you know, you've got to you've got to turn up every day if you want to be good at something. You've got to turn up every day, and it doesn't even matter if you you know you don't have to try super hard to be the best. You can be every day. You just have to turn up every day. I have people who I talk to and they say they're struggling. They're like, how do, how do I get faster? And I try to explain to them. I said, it's not about being faster. It's the people who are still here in the next 10 years who are going to be the best. And and whoever else doesn't make it to the 10 years, they ain't going to be here anymore. They didn't make it. So I said, so don't try too hard. Just turn up. Do what you can. No, that's great advice. That's great advice for longevity is just keep doing it. There's nothing more um beneficial than to just fingers to keyboard and just do the work i got caught in a oscp kind of loop where i was going down a path of just trying to continuously learn but what i was doing and and this is my experience i'm not saying this is everybody's experience but what i was doing is i was just continuously going over the same information same information and trying to remember it all but I wasn't putting it to practice. And the second that I started to put put it to practice, and that's when I, you know, my cybersecurity level just kept going up and up and up was just fingers to keyboard, really just do the work. And yeah. No, it's a serious mistake a lot of people make is um, just learn, learn, learn. I, I know I've done it in the past before, so I tried to avoid them um, making that same mistake. Action is definitely the key, isn't it? Pra- practice, practice, practice. Of course, like, you know, if you're learning APIs, for instance, you need to learn what APIs are. But once you've once you've learned it, then it's time to start putting it into practice. So I think that's important for anyone listening. Um, make sure you practice what you learn and don't just keep learning and keep learning because it doesn't work. I, personally, it, it didn't work for me. Jason says as well, it doesn't work for him. So fingers on keyboards, guys. <laughs> hey, so Jason... Um, I know you um you studied criminology and um is it criminal justice in university or college. How was how has that influenced your approach with um cybersecurity and ethical hacking in general? Well, I think you know studying criminology is is beneficial in a in a couple of ways. One of them is really just sitting down and actually doing some work and learning how to research, right? Um, criminology is, uh, you know, a pretty specific field. And so there's all these different kind of realms of criminology that exist. And so really finding the information that you need um, for the topic at hand that you're either A, studying or wanting to study. So that's a really good kind of um, 
experience is just actually sitting down and researching. But I think one of the most um, interesting kind of topics that I studied during my criminology um, journey and experience was really delving into some of the like psycho psychology classes of, you know, how somebody, you know, involved in a criminal event really thinks and stuff like that. And so I have been able to, you know, kind of adapt some of those, those uh, classes and teaches and teachings into how I would approach, um, an engagement or a target and really trying to figure out, you know, how, you know, what's the best way that I would approach getting into this box. Like, but this is from a legal standpoint, right? I'm doing ethical hacking and, and penetration testing, but that's essentially, you know, kind of where somebody's at when they're doing it nefariously. Right. So really just trying to get into the mindset of, of how somebody would approach it is it's, it, it, it's such a, like a kind of a fun back and forth. No, that's wicked, man. I've, um, I think it's really important to uh, sort of like to, for people to think um, like what experience have you got that you can use to help with whatever you, ever you're doing now. So, for instance, for me, for example, I'm doing this podcast, but I have um, I have like ten years of stuff that I did with sound design and sound engineering and music production, so the audio side of this has come very naturally to me, you know, setting up all the wires and getting up all the, all the software set up. Cause I've been just doing that for fun anyways. So I think it's really important that people, um, they basically think about what they've done in the past. A lot of people say, I have no experience. And it's like, no, you, you've been alive for a long time. You, you have experience doing something that must be useful. Yeah. That's the thing too. I, I, I see that a lot. Cause I, I definitely, uh, did my, cybersecurity journey a little later on in life, right? I had been involved in, in community work for, for quite some time. And so, you know, you often hear, well, you know, is it too late for me to learn? Is it too late? Like, you know, you see postings out there, Twitter, stuff like that, Instagram, you know, like I'm in my 40s. Am I too old for cybersecurity? And that is absolutely untrue there's nobody that's too old for cybersecurity. you know you there's there's successful stories of people out there that have decided to change you know uh in their in their 50s and 60s and 70s right like it it and we spoke a little bit at the beginning uh, of the podcast already about how welcoming and how much the you know hacker community is and cybersecurity is in a way it's like everybody wants you to succeed so that's still true it doesn't you don't have to be a young person um to you know get involved because whether you're young or old or you know what 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 different walks of life you come from people want to help man and that's that's the kind you know that's one of the best things because you know it there's a you know people people struggle with imposter syndrome out there and you know even myself right now you know i i have all this experience behind me i've had paid engagements i've you know i've 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 done successful bug bounties. I've got my OSCP, which is, you know, kind of a holy grail and a, and a big journey. And at this point now, I'm still, you know, dealing with some of that imposter syndrome because, you know, A, there's people that have been in there longer than I have or, you know, somebody's more talented in their coding skills or somebody's, you know, got more knowledge in their network penetration skills and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when I actually sit down and talk with those people, all they want me to do is succeed. And so they're willing to help and they offer me these little, these little tidbits of information and these, you know, these, 
these knowledge nuggets that they've, they've, you know, developed over the course of their time that, you know, saves me a world of pain by trying to do trial and error, right? So, yeah. If anybody out there is listening and you're wanting to get into cybersecurity, but uh, you haven't pulled the trigger on it, just do it and connect with me. Connect with Frankie. Everybody's willing to help. Come, come and connect with everyone, man. With once you get here, I was so surprised that I only joined LinkedIn, for instance, because I, I wanted somewhere to keep these certs I was getting from uh, Try Hack Me, and I thought, oh, I can store them on there. And then I, I went on there, and then started adding people and then people were coming to me like, Oh, I'll help you. You can go and talk to this guy, go and add this guy, speak to him. He'll help you get started. I was like, wow. I was like, this is, this is crazy. Most social media is kind of like very selfish. Basically everyone's just out for their own clicks, aren't they? So yeah, I think that's how we met, right? I think that you and I were attacking the same capture the flag uh, box on try hack me and you had put out a message on LinkedIn I think it was and I I either you helped me or I helped you I can't remember which which direction the support was in but then that that was it we we became friends almost immediately and we were chit-chatting back and forth on LinkedIn for a while and then we started doing video calls uh, in in our in our respectable time zones and now we're here recording podcasts together yeah, yeah, you were the first guy um, I ever got on video with. I am, um, yeah, we. I was the. Um, it was the red team pathway. You were like, "How are you getting through this so quickly?" <laughs> it's like because I'm, I'm trying to get through it quickly. But that's why meeting you was so important for me because um, you sort of explained to me that just flying through this stuff and not taking notes and not really letting your mind process it is a bad idea, and and it was. I managed to basically complete the and entire try hack me book the whole thing almost probably about 80 percent of it i completed maybe 70 percent and uh yeah and i couldn't really have much to show for it in my mind and nothing on notes to show for it either so you you're the one who basically led to all the documents that i made on linkedin all the documentation i've made was all, all thanks to you if i never met you it might never have happened oh yeah thank you i actually do remember that you were flying through quite quickly and and uh i i i recall thinking you know is he absorbing the information the best that he could be and i remember um one of the very first times we linked up and i showed you kind of my note-taking process and you're like oh man i need to start doing that i think maybe i took it too far i don't know maybe it, it, it seemed, seemed to work out well in the end so i've, I've kind of um I've kind of sat back a bit now on that and I'm just focusing on making the show a success because I think it's great being able to, it's a great learning opportunity for me and anybody who watches to, you know, be hands-on with people like yourself and ask the questions. So I'm, I'm going to really focus on this for now instead of the, the learning stuff. Good. I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, me too, man. And um, yeah, it was a pleasure to meet you. Um, I could say that about everyone I've met in this community though. And I want to go back to what I said, what you were saying about imposter syndrome, because I seem to be getting the same, the same sort of thing off everybody I speak to. And they all say that the cure for it is the community itself. If you just reach out to the community and, you know, sort of stress your issues, like, oh, I don't think I'm good enough to do this. They will make you realize, no, you can do it. We, we all feel that way. We all don't like the sound of our own voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and again at the risk of sounding like a broken record the community is so positive i mean there have been times where i have 
absolutely been banging my head against the wall um, on something that I felt like was probably super simple. And the reason why I hadn't been able to tackle, you know, either captured the flag, you know, challenge or something that's involved with the OSCP, um, you know, and, and, you know, I'm like, well, you know, maybe somebody will judge me for not knowing this or somebody will look at me like, you know, they'll look down on me, you know, because, you know, this is something that I haven't learned and stuff like that. When I've actually actually taken those moments and reached out to somebody and said, hey, listen, I'm struggling with this problem. I'm struggling with this. Can can you help me out here? A lot of the times people are super friendly and, and they want to help. But what's really interesting is if people don't know, they'll usually send you to somebody that actually knows that information. It's like, oh, I'm not really good with Kubernetes. So I have a friend over here that is really, uh, really keen on that knowledge. And so... Um, just kind of getting over that, that initial kind of response where it's like, I feel anxious that somebody is going to judge me and really just reaching out to people that has that, you know, that has upped my, you know, my cybersecurity skill set by far. Just, you know, it's, it's just, if I don't know something, I don't know something and you don't know what you don't know. So it's really just, kind of getting over that kind of piece, which includes imposter syndrome and just reaching out to the people that have the knowledge because they want to help. They want to help. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I don't think this industry would even exist, right. If, uh, you know, if people weren't on stack overflow posting their stuff or, you know, if there wasn't the information out there that people, cause obviously like the stuff you search on Google, it doesn't just appear out of thin air, you know, people have to create this stuff. So I think without everyone sharing the knowledge, I, I don't think the industry would exist. I, I, it brings me on to something that I thought about. I remember hearing a rumor or an article or something where they said, um, you know, when hacking first started, it used to be quite um, secretive. The guys who knew the knowledge used to be very, if you weren't in the gang, you wouldn't get in. Is that true? Or do you know anything about that? Because you've obviously been doing this longer than me. Uh, well, I think that there was sort of... Um you know, kind of a paradigm where there was some gatekeepers, um, you know, early on in, in, in the, in the beginning times of, you know, kind of hacking culture and stuff like that. I think that, you know, I can't speak, um, too, too, uh, I can't speak on it too much because, you know, I definitely didn't exist in it at that time, but I do remember when I was, you know, younger and trying to navigate uh you know learning some hacking skills when i was younger it was um it was a little harder to have to to have access to information the way that we have it now and so it's definitely you know that 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 piece has changed from when i was younger until now and um i think that had i pursued it at that time in my life when i was younger i think that with the lack of of access to information i may have not pursued it as successfully as i as i have now again that's only my my experience though so i'm yeah i'm the the article that you read could definitely have some merit to it but um i uh, yeah i yeah i i don't know if that you know if I don't know if I can speak to that exact round because it wasn't uh, it wasn't in my experience. No, no, that's absolutely fine. I just thought about it and I thought Jason, Jason might know if there was any truth in that. But um, I'd say I'm definitely happy to see that it has gone the way it has gone now because it's if it if it was like that, it's literally done a complete 360 on itself. And 
it's probably one of the most welcoming communities I've ever like been on. Like I'm going to a conference in Europe in London in a month or so, and um, I'm not worried about it. Usually, I'd be worried about going to something like this on my own, but I know I'm going to get there, and everyone's going to be like, "Hey, hi, nice to meet you." You know, everyone's going to be positive. No, I ha- I'd be very surprised if I met someone who was negative and sort of. No, maybe thought he was better than other people or something. I, I think that's highly unlikely to meet those sort of sort of bully. I don't know, um, higher than everyone else types of people. I don't think they really exist here. I'd like to talk to you about the work you do with Blade Runners. I know you're the you're the director of the region. I think is that I think that's right. And um, I was just wondering, um, like, what can you explain to people what it, what it is you do? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been working in social work, um, you know, for mo- most of my life. And I've always, you know, been passionate about serving my community and, you know, serving vulnerable populations and stuff like that. And so, you know, essentially, you know, when I first started, I I, I started working in a, in a very vulnerable uh, area of the city that I live in, which translated into me getting into, you know, helping um, youth at risk and I've been doing that for uh, close to eight years now and um, you know in comparison to the work that I was doing you know with adults versus uh, youth I found that working with youth is definitely where um, I, I, I get a lot back from it so it's you know it's a very taxing and 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 very demanding job however you know it's it's definitely you know helped me in a lot of ways and so it's 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 symbiotic and in 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 a way where it's you know i am able to support you know the my community's at-risk youth but i also get a lot back from it as well in my own development and my own you know um you know life journey and stuff like that and so the the current uh, role that I'm currently doing is yeah you're right I am I'm the director of a program called Blade Runners and Blade Runners is a program that's an award winning program that helps uh, a lot of youth that are facing barriers to employment um, get the skills and and um, and connections they need to be able to you know get into entry level jobs depending on on what the you know the youth are 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 interested in but um some of the most of the work that happens with the specific participants of the program they're all coming from very high risk life situations right and so the social work piece that happens in between you know building them up in 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 skill sets and then getting them into a labor market there's so much work that goes in between those two points and so you know a lot of the a lot of myself and my team we 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 deal with a lot of the social working uh issues of of an individual's life so we're dealing with relationship breakdowns family breakdowns mental health um crisis intervention you know um addictions you know alcohol consumption and everything else in between um so it's not just train them and you know get them into the labor market it's train them get them into the labor market and then help them maintain that right and so there's a lot of work a lot of coaching a lot of mentoring that goes on with with um with that no it can be it can be really tough can't it for um People who are, you know, I don't know, they've been criminals or they're, you know, they're addicted to drugs or anything sort of down them roads. If you, even if you try to decide to sort your life out, you kind of get tarnished with the brush and it can be really impossible to find work. So I think it's great that you're really 
doing this to help these people, man. Yeah, and at the at the risk of you know uh, disclosing a little bit of information uh, about myself is this is actually kind of a full circle journey for myself. I um, was negatively impacting the community when I was learning to navigate. Uh, being a young adult and I, you know, wasn't making the best choices for myself. So I was actually a participant of the program um, when I was a very young youth and it actually set me off on this incredibly positive journey and into all works and walks of, of my own life. And so, you know, it's definitely a really kind of, you know, full circle experience that I actually get to come back and, and provide service and energy and, and my time, you know, to the community that actually had to set me off in the in the positive journey that I'm on now, you know, because without the program, when I was a very young youth, you know, it, it it's really hard to say which direction I would have gone in, you know, so it was definitely one of those very supportive kind of environments that I definitely needed at that point in my life. And now I get to, you know, be involved every day with it. So it's, you know, an incredible experience. Well, I think, um, well, thank you for being so courageous for um, sort of sharing your own experience with everyone. But um, I think it's important to anybody listening who, you know, I don't know, you've been in trouble with the law or you've, you know, you, you feel like there's no hope for you. Just take a look at Jason, man. He's, um, He's he's done so well for himself, uh, from where he's come from to where he is now. It's, it's your walking, living proof that it is possible to turn your life around, and the system isn't just trying to destroy you. You know, once once you've been branded with that thing, you you can turn it around. And you know, when I was younger as well, I've you know not not too much trouble, but you know, I've had to do a bit of turning around myself and. I finally reached the end of that tunnel as well. So it can it can be turned around. I think some people can find themselves so stuck that they just they just stay there then and they keep repeating the same mistakes because they think there's no escape. But if you if if you actually try hard enough, you will find a way out. So with so with that being said, man, apart from yourself, is there any other sort of like success stories you've had while working for Blade Runners? Obviously without mentioning any names, of course. Like, can you tell us, like, tell us one success story of one of the kids who have, you know, climbed out of their own problems? I have a great story, which is actually relates to to cybersecurity. So um, we have all these different kind of training modules that we do. And, you know, we have multiple facilitators coming in and we have cultural workshops for people and, you know, life skill building, Um, you know, it's over the course of a couple of weeks. And so one specific individual actually one specific time we actually had a facilitator that wasn't going to be able to show up for half a day they were sick and it was just you know they woke up and you know we're in kind of scary times at that point with COVID and stuff like that so we had this four-hour gap of you know oh no what are we going to do so I had volunteered myself and uh grabbed my laptop you know hooked it up to the to the to the to the um, smart screen in the classroom and just started going through some like basic kind of security practices and showing, showing, you know, a group of young kids say, Hey, listen, like it's not necessarily your password practice that, you know, can get you into trouble. Here's a workaround for an authentication piece and, and showing them that kind of stuff and, and, and really trying to get them into the mind frame of like, getting you know practice them practicing like good operational security for themselves and so this one kid ended up being completely fascinated with some of the stuff that i was showing them and he is now currently 
on a cybersecurity journey that I actually have been assisting him with. He he bounces all these ideas off me and he's taking some really early classes and, and building up his foundational skill set so that he can actually join this journey um, uh, at, at a local university, which is a really good program. It's it, it, it's it's world renowned. And so he, he like he got inspired by that. And so now I actually get to like, you know, provide provide cybersecurity mentoring for him and and he's 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 in it he's living it right now yeah that's a wicked story was there was it just him was it did you just manage to grab the heart of one or well i i think most of most of the kids were were more like well teach me how to do that and i'm like well you gotta you gotta learn some fundamental stuff and i don't want you using this knowledge to you know break into people's instagram accounts because that's usually where everybody goes can yeah, I feel like, you know, I I had my OSCP uh, in October 2021, and I had been practicing cybersecurity um, jobs at that point. Um, but I didn't really feel like I was a true hacker until, you know, mid-2022, somewhere in summertime, I received a message on Instagram where somebody was like, hey, can you teach me how to hack a Facebook account? And I was like, you know what, that's it. I made it. I made it. Somebody, somebody asked me the 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 whole the the holy trinity of questions on social media. Can I hack into somebody's Facebook account? And I was like, you know what, that's it. It's it's all over from here. It's all downhill now. So since we're on the subject of you know cybersecurity and Blade Runners, um, people like yourself who have busy lives, work hard. Uh, even myself, uh, when people tell me you no, know, they haven't got time, I. Like, I always see that as a cop out. So I was just wondering if you could explain to people how you balance, you know, Blade Runners with your ethical hacking, cybersecurity endeavors. For sure, that that's a great question, and I think that that is something that is different for everybody. I know I am de- definitely fortunate enough to you know have a partner that uh, you know I share my life with, and she was. Uh, rock when it came to me doing my OSCP journey. I I committed all of my work time to my work. And then every free moment I had, I was able to really do deep dives into the OSCP uh, coursework and the curriculum and the lessons. And she was there every moment of the way all the way through it from start to finish, no complaints. I know that there's not a lot of people that are are as fortunate as 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 I am, you know, given their 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 life uh, position and stuff like that. But I think that if you want to do it and you want to get there, and you can only dedicate yourself to you know uh, thirty minutes here, you know, fifteen minutes on on the bus or the train or wherever, and, and you just stay consistent with it, you're gonna get there. You're, you'll get there because. You hear stories of people, they, they would get up, you know, two, three hours before they had to be at work. They'd spend an hour and a half on doing a, a lesson and then they go to work, think about the lesson all day, get back. You know, they have their life stuff that they have to do with their kids, their, their family. Then they take a, a little bit of time before they go to bed and they've made it. They've got, they've gotten to where they wanted to be. So it's just finding those little pockets of time that, um, that you could dedicate to, to, to your learning journey. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely, even while I was doing my OSCP can say that I could have spent a little less time, you know, scrolling the Facebook and sc- scrolling Instagram and, and all of that. Um, so it's just really identifying 
where there's free time and uh, just really committing yourself to it because um, if you if you truly want to be in it, once you start it, it's really hard to get out of. Once you figure out how to, you know, upload a file and get, you know, you, you know, get a, a remote code execution on a web server or once you pop your first Linux shell or your first Windows shell, it, it it's so addicting and it never changes. It doesn't get worse. It doesn't die down. The first shell that I popped to the one that I did just a couple of days ago, it's the exact same rush every time. Yeah, I do. Um, I do love the rush of that. When you um when you root a box or you you finish the job, you're like, oh wow. And it's not like um it's it's not like you'd say you the rush you'd get from like a I don't know, a cigarette or alcohol or something. It's um it's an accomplishment rush. You feel like, you know, I've worked hard in my brain to achieve that. And so there's like um there's a bit of a high ground with it. There's no there's no downside to it. You feel like a ninja. You feel like a spy. Like you feel, you feel like you know something that somebody else doesn't. And, um, you know, jujitsu is the same way. Like when you learn a technique that could potentially, you know, save yourself from harm, but also, you know, you essentially, you know, can, can hurt somebody really badly. So having that knowledge is like, it's such an experience because I can do it. I'm not going to. Not going to use this information in a nefarious way, but I could if I wanted to, and that's a very, very interesting kind of experience to to know and be in. Yeah, man. And so I just want to roll back a bit because um, you were talking about your partner, and um, I just want to—I know, like, I know people maybe not fortunate enough to have a partner in their life, but um, I want to express sort of like how important it is to be very aware of the people in your life. Because, you know, you don't you don't particularly need positive people. You know, it's great. Like, I'm the same. My wife, without her, without her support, I wouldn't be doing what I am today either. But it's also really important to make sure you don't have any negative people in your life. You know, like bad friends who haven't got your best interests at heart. Or even a partner who, you know, hasn't got your best interests at heart either. Even family members can sort of, um, you know pose an issue with that have you had any experiences with um people who sort of like when you started on your cyber journey people who are trying to say oh i don't know you're being stupid or you'll never do it sort of thing did you have any of that i think that that, that's a that's an important question i think that's a really important question for just you know life in general i think that there's um you know, it doesn't matter if it's cybersecurity or if it's, you know, you want to learn a specific skill or you're interested in a, in a, in a job. There's there, that happens. It happens more often than I'd like to admit. I think that there's a lot of people out there that see that you're wanting to make a change or you're wanting to make, you know, um, uh, you want to take a challenge on yourself and, and, you know, people aren't necessarily comfortable within their own their own uh, insecurities and their own kind of ways of thinking. And so it, you know, it happens. They try and they try and pull you down and stuff like that. I, I experienced it when I was going through my OSCP journey because I was, like I mentioned, I was trying to dedicate every free moment to that I had. And so I had, you know, those people in my life that were like, oh, you're too busy for me. Like, you don't care about me. You don't have any time. You don't make time. And it's like, well, you know, I'm unfortunately making time for myself right now and i've spent a 
uh, a good portion of my life taking care of the community and my friends and family. And right now I'm doing something for myself that I absolutely love doing. And yeah, unfortunately, there was people that were, were trying to pull me back and trying to stop me from pursuing that. But, you know, staying consistent and just knowing that, you know, I'd get there and once I put in the time and the effort and, uh, you know, it will, it will all fall into place and it did. And I'm, I'm very grateful that I actually took that time for myself and, and really focused because I now live in this incredibly positive world of people and experiences and I'm constantly learning new technologies and it keeps me engaged. And, you know, it's just like, if anybody out there wants to pursue cybersecurity, ethical hacking, penetration testing, and stuff like that, um, for professional purposes, I encourage you. But if you also want to be in a positive environment that's also stressful in the same way and challenging, then this is the place to be. If you like to challenge yourself, this is the place to be. If you want to be surrounded by positive people, this is the place to be. If you want to be surrounded by like-minded people that are all on the same journey either before or after or continuing this is the place to be i can totally relate to your um story there and uh so when i started this um straight away first question i got was don't you need to be smart to do that sort of stuff and i was like okay what do you mean by that never mind i carried on i found um I found since I started doing this stuff, um, it's actually bridged off to me just trying to help people in general, like how I'm helping a PT, try and start his PT business. And um, there's another guy at work who like wants to um, get into computers as well. So I'm helping him, a guy who just simply wants me to have a look at his computer for him because it's broke. I'm like, yeah, I'll take a look, man. It's it's good fun for me. And I'm constantly on the lookout now of how I can help people instead of not being like that, basically, where I didn't really... I thought everyone was just out for themselves. And now, now I live in a world where everybody helps each other and it's great. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's, there's, there's a prime example to anybody there that's listening. Um, you know, everybody wants to help. It, it's interesting that what you'd mentioned at the beginning of your, of your comment there, where you're talking about, you know, don't you have to be smart or intelligent? Um, I, I, I don't have a gauge on what, you know, what is smart and what's intelligent, you know, I have no idea how people get to the moon. So I'm not smart or intelligent in that. But people may say I could be smart or intelligent when it comes to cybersecurity. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think what I am good with is time management. And I really focus on time management. And because that is something that I really put a lot of effort into, it is I've resulted in success. I did my OSCP with so much effort put into trying to go through all the lessons and really absorb all the information. And then when I took my first OSCP exam, I failed miserably. I failed so badly. And I thought I was in the, in, in the, in the winning category. I knew I had, you know, I'd attacked all these boxes. I'd shut down all these, you know, different kind of challenges on hack the box and try hack me and all that stuff. And I was going in confident and, uh, I got there and I completely lost all of my training. The The second that the, 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 the test started, I was like, oh, God, I don't remember any information. And that was a really, really kind of humbling experience. Um, so I had to I had to book my second OSCP exam. And um, for anybody that knows what the OSCP exam is like, it's actually a 24-hour test where they have proctors that watch you 
do the exam over the internet full time. And so you have 24 hours to complete it. And so the first time that I took the exam, I spent all 23 hours and 40 minutes trying to attack unsuccessfully because I sat there from minute one to 24 hours later, just trying down, falling down these rabbit holes. And so the only thing that I changed between my first exam and my second exam is that I took proper breaks. And so that is something that I hope everybody out there can learn when you're doing your journey and you're doing your, your lessons. If you're interested in the OSCP is you got to take proper breaks because you can get stuck in these rabbit holes that go nowhere but you feel like you're going to be able to get something out of it and it's it's there on purpose to trip you up and all you got to do is just step back take a breather and come back to it with a little bit of a clear mind and it's it'll be right there in front of your face i promise it will be well it's like they say isn't it that's where the try harder comes from right that's right try harder is actually a really fun um modality that that exists within the oscp and the true meaning is you know just look a little bit more, just enumerate a little bit more, like it's there, there's a way in, just, you know, you'll run out of ideas before you run out of time. Uh, but I think that try harder sometimes get used as, I don't want to help, <laughs> just try harder. I think in the community it does, you know, and someone's like, what's the answer to this? And they'll just say, no, try harder. But um, since we're on the point of um, the OSCP, because I know there's there's always some like, there's always a bit of controversy about the OSCP. Some people say oh, it's, it's bad or too expensive or some people say it's great and it's you know it's like you say it's the holy grail um i was wondering if you can like clear up uh, any misconceptions that might be about it because you have the inside knowledge basically for sure uh, well i mean the oscp is it's it's an incredible uh you know journey in 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 in, in educational format i mean it Everything that you need to know to pass the exam is in the curriculum, and it takes you from almost knowing nothing to really becoming kind of a, an expert in in in, in um, you know some some junior like junior at like penetration paths, right? So, um, you know, a big part of the OSCP curriculum is it really just gets you to start working on your own methodology and figuring out how you're going to attack, um, you know, a, a project an engagement to capture the flag, like how you go about it. But what it really, and what it really teaches you to do is it really teaches you how to enumerate and start gathering information. Right. And they have this really interesting kind of quote inside the curriculum where it's like, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'll, spend the first five hours sharpening my knife. And so that's a really good way of explaining what uh, the OSCP and offensive security have tried, have really trying to really try to develop is that they really try to develop your mindset, right? There are some resources that you have to kind of go over outside of the OSCP, but for the most part, it really does teach you everything that you need to, to pass. Right. And so I can't really put a price on that because I, I am very, very, very interested in that. And, you know, it's, it's definitely me investing into myself. And, and so when I, I, I paid for the OSCP, right? I didn't have somebody sponsor me, anything like that. I definitely, um, you know, I didn't have an employer that was, that was, you know, investing in me. It was something that I, I, I chose for myself. And so it, 
how do I put a price on that? How do I put a price on investing into myself? Because I definitely didn't fall short. Like it didn't, it didn't, you know, I didn't pay for this thing. And then, you know, I got a really, you know, short end of the stick and a bad deal at the end of the day. It, it, it's, it's changed my life. So getting OSCP was definitely a really good choice for myself. Um, because, you know, I do, I do, I, I really wanted it. So inversely, I understand that it is something that, you know, not a lot of people can afford, right? So are there different journeys or are there different things out there that you can kind of explore for yourself? And there there are. There's a million resources. You can learn everything in the OSCP for free on YouTube, reading blogs. You know, you can go on to OSCP's website and, and, and download, you know, the the... I don't know what it's called, like, um, you know, the, the lesson plan. And you can go out there and you can start knocking off the checklist and start learning those things on YouTube and, and, and stuff like that. But I think for me, having the OSCP certification really changed the narrative of how people talk to me. Before, when I was kind of getting involved in it, people were constantly questioning whether or not I knew enough to be having a conversation at the table or whether I knew enough to, you know, be involved in, you know, projects that people were talking about. But as soon as I got my OSCP, that narrative definitely changed and people started talking to me differently. They started talking to me like I knew what I, well, I knew what I was talking about and they started talking to me like I belonged there. So that's, I mean, that's my experience. And so I, I, I'm not sure if, if that answers your question, but that's, that's kind of, how I feel about it. I'm, I'm, I invested in myself and it, and it, and it, it paid, it paid, it paid for itself over and over again. No, that, um, that absolutely did answer my question. The, the question really was, is it a waste of money? <laughs> I think that's what I should have said, but no, you've cleared that up because you know, it's something every ethical hacker wants is the OSCP, isn't it? For sure. If it is it a waste of money to get a piece of paper, in a way, but the piece of paper also, you know, it, it comes with a statement like, "Hey, I've, 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 I've gone through this ch- immensely great challenge and I've succeeded." And so, how do you put a price on that? I mentioned you can learn all this stuff for free. There's so many resources out there. There's so many different, you know. Uh, tracks of education that you can go through um, and you'll get, you'll get there. You'll, you'll build the skill set, you know, and people will be able to build the skill set far better than I will ever be able to achieve for myself for free. They can do it. No, it's great. One thing about this field is you can learn everything for free. You don't, I like to pay for things. I think um, when I used to be a DJ, um, I started with vinyl and then I moved to CD and MP3. And as the, as the format got smaller and cheaper and I, I started to lose, I, I didn't find much value in it. So like if I lost a hundred MP3s off my USB out of a thousand, I probably wouldn't notice they were gone. But if I noticed my vinyl that I paid 20 pound for the bright colors on it went missing, I would probably notice on that pretty quickly. So I think putting a value on something and especially with money, it, it it makes you more proud and conscious of it, I think. I think when there's like information that's out there for free, for instance, uh, you do find them on LinkedIn and places like that. These people who just seem to gather information 
they gather books. They're like, oh, I found this book and I found this uh, article or I found this resource. And I think they must spend a lot of their time just finding resources and not actually going through or learning from the resources. So I think that's the only downside of cheap resources is that people get stuck in just fine, just looking for the stuff instead of using it. But when you, if you spend a thousand pound on something, your focus is going to go, I am concentrating on this now. I've just spent a thousand pound on this OSCP. <laughs> nothing is going, nothing is coming in until it's done. <laughs> but if it was free, there's a chance that most people would just get bored halfway through and go, ah, oh, no loss. Yeah, that's it's it, that's an interesting thought that you have about that. I think that definitely, um, you know, not having somebody sponsor me for 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 the journey is definitely a motivator to actually sit down and take the time to do it because you know it's you know, I'm only selling myself short. So it's a good point. Hey, well, we'll be closing up um, pretty shortly, Jason, on this. So I'll just have a few more questions for you. These are more sort of out of the box questions. Like what's one of the, what's the one question you wish people would ask you more often about your work or experience? Oh man, that's a great question. I I can't even think about I don't I don't often sit around and ponder what how come people don't ask me these questions. Um that's uh yeah, it kind of put me on the spot. Um I think that I would really like to see more young people getting involved in in, in uh, asking questions about cybersecurity and stuff like that. We're only going, you know, the, the world is only going to a more technologically advanced kind of state, right? I think that we are in a definite pivot point in, in society with technology, you know, with all this kind of AI infrastructure and stuff that's being developed. And I think that right now at this point, we are in a space where our parents had heard about the internet, but they definitely didn't jump on board when it was, when it started. And so they kind of got left behind in a way to where our generation had to take on learning the internet. And, and now we have to go and, you know, help our parents and grandparents and, figuring out how to get online or why the printer isn't printing. And so I think that we're in that space right now with AI. And even though it, you know, it's got its controversies and stuff like that, we are definitely in a space where we need to start getting on board with it because it's not going away. It's not going away. And it's going to either you, we either have to embrace it and let it help our lives or we're going to get left behind and we're going to be our parents trying to figure out why the printer isn't printing. Right. What do you, what do you think the future is going to be for AI where, where hacking's concerned? Like, like how do you think we could use it for a tool? Like how do you think ethical hackers will use it as a tool? Well, I think it's going to help workflow a lot in the early stages. We'll see where it gets to a, a, a later on in, in when the technology advances. Um, you know, it's definitely going to help with report writing and, and minimizing that kind of time. I, you know, there's AI out there that's like writing code. So you can definitely pull down some code, deobfuscate it, figure out, you know, what the code is, is supposed to be under the deobfuscation or under obfuscation and stuff like that. Um, you know, it, 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 it where it's going to be it it i guess like the the sky is the limit right do i think that it's going to take over cybersecurity jobs right now i don't think so i think that there's a lot of room for cybersecurity with ai you know uh, you know people think that ai right now is this you know kind of like sentient machine that's doing all this thinking but then when that's not really the case you know there's a million 
hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people behind the technology that are constantly changing it, you know, on the daily and on the fly. So is it going to get to a point where it takes our jobs over? That'd be nice in a utopia sense. If I can not have to get up every Monday morning and go to work, that'd be kind of cool. But is it going to take over? I think that AI is mechanical right now and it doesn't have intuition and it doesn't have, you know, that kind of thought process that, that, you know, and, uh, 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 you know, an individual has. So, yeah, it's interesting times. Yeah. Well, I, I'm personally embracing AI. I use it for a lot of things. A lot, a lot of the guys I've spoken to, they said they use it for a lot of things as well. I think you should only be scared of it if, if you know, if you like just having, I don't know, you like working behind the counter in the shop, and because they're they're already disappearing. Those guys, I am um, at the all the shops I go into now. They're all. I think I've been in three shops today, and I served myself in all three of them. <laughs> so I think you really, I, th- I think the future is going to be for people who are really going to get their asses in gear basically and start working for things instead of just expecting jobs to be landed to them, you know, or just want simple life. I don't think simple life's going to be there for most people. I I think we're going to have to up the game. I feel like that. I feel like I have to work a lot harder than, I don't know, my father did when he was younger, I guess, (laughs) to sort of have the same life. But yeah, so um, as we wrap up, Jason, um, how do you how do you envision the future of um, ethical hacking, and what advice would you give to the next generation of ethical hackers? Well, what advice would I give to the next generation? I think that the advice should be this: I truly believe that if you are a person that wants to help somebody, if you are a person that you know might be doing social service work, and you are thinking about a cybersecurity. Uh, path or if you're somebody that is constantly you know coaching mentoring and helping cybersecurity is exactly that it's a place where you get to take some of that those characteristics of yourself and really just get out there learn a skill set and learn something that people don't necessarily understand and be able to help the world in a better way there are so many people out there that are trying to take information trying to take data trying to take you know finances away from people and trying to break into computer networks trying to break into web applications trying to shut down computer networks and trying to steal money from your grandparents and your parents and it's just rampant and it it's happening in every area of of life online and so if you want to get out there and help people and stop people from doing stuff like that then this is the place to be to do it because all you're doing is you're being a superhero to somebody that doesn't understand, um, you know, the technology that's behind some of these things that people are using to, to, you know, steal people's data and steal people's money away. I just heard a story a couple of days ago where um, AI is, you know, people are putting in voice samples um, to, you know, have other to have like dead artists sing songs that are existing today you know i heard a a really interesting ai um sample the other day where notorious big who's been dead for years sing a song that you know was from an artist that um was on a different coast than him and it sounded 100 percent like him and he was doing the song exactly the way that um you know the recording artist did it 
And, you know, just a couple months ago, you could tell that it was AI in a way. So the technology has advanced immensely over the past couple of years or past couple of months, sorry. And so I started digging into it a little bit, like how did that individual do that? And I, I stumbled upon a story of where this, this, this mom received a phone call from her own child saying, Hey, I've been, I think it was kidnapped or something along those lines or possibly in jail or something along those lines. And it was the, it was her kid's voice, and this mother was incredibly terrified that her kid had, you know, been taken away, and so she had gone to the bank and like gotten all this money and dropped it off at this point where these people asked her to do it, and they actually used that AI to to um, record a million TikTok voice samples that the kid had online of them just doing, you know, TikTok things. And so the kid is putting their voice out there. They needed, you know, six or seven minutes of samples and they were able to recreate this individual's voice. And so getting out there and, 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 and really, really um, understanding those things and teaching people and, and helping, helping, you know, cause that, that I can't, I can't, I can't imagine what that mother was going through when, when she heard that phone call and heard her child. And uh, it wasn't her child. It was AI, right? So we got to get out there and, and help people that don't understand that. No, and it's absolutely rampant, that story you said about the, the voice changeover scam. It's happening all over the world. There's, I think there's millions and millions being taken already from people. But it's not the money. It's not the money that's important. It's the heartache that, that's attached to it. That was why I got into this because, you know, one of my friends at work, he got scammed £10,000. He thought he was making a Bitcoin investment and he had to get that. He got that loan from a bank and now he's going to have to work for the next two or three years just to pay that off. And the worst part was he sort of got into the loop with it. So he was like, oh, if I just give him another £1,000, he'll give me the money back. And then he kept giving him more money and I was begging him to stop. And uh, that was how I got into this in the first place. Um, I thought, I thought it's, I said, it's mad how these people do this. I said, I said, it's always interested me, you know, like heists and scams and stuff, but like the, the heartbreak, I could never, you know, partake in it. God, no, I could never even, I couldn't do that to a stranger or an enemy. Never mind. Um, never mind for a living. God, yeah, that's a lot to take with your conscience, but I, it was always interesting to me. And someone said, you know, you can, you can learn about these things and put it to good use. And I thought, I never thought about that. And here I am today. Jason, um, we'll share your socials with you. If you have any more than LinkedIn, we'd be happy to um, throw them on for you as well. But um, apart apart from that, is there anything else you want to share with people? Yeah, sure. Um, I want to tell you guys about kind of like the first hack I ever did in my life. And it was inspired by the movie Hackers. I saw one of the characters on there. He played a tone off of a, a tape recorder into a payphone and got himself a free phone call. And I thought that that was incredible. And so I was like, well, how do I get, how do I do this? How do I figure this out? And so I uh, was living with my mom at the time and we had a, we had a, a a cordless phone. Uh, this was, you know, you know, way back in the day, and the cordless phone would work at a certain distance uh, outside of the apartment. And so I figured out that distance, and I left the phone there, and then I ended up running to a payphone, uh, 
and dialing my own home number and then leaving the payphone unhooked and then running all the way back to the cordless phone, answering that and putting a microphone on it and then running all the way back to the payphone. And I had to time this properly because there was a street light in the way. And I ended up dumping a whole bunch of quarters into the payphone so that my home phone at home would record the tones and it totally failed. It didn't work. I had recorded those tones and I ended up having them on a tape. But at that point, whatever phone companies had already kind of, you know, fixed that exploit. And so I ended up uh, not becoming successful, but I, that was my first hack and it, it doesn't definitely wasn't successful, but I became successful after that. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful to my, to, I'm thankful to my parents. You know, my, I, uh, my dad had really recognized when I was younger that I really needed to take things apart and I really need to learn how things worked. And so he used to go around to garage sales and stuff like that and just grab random things for, for, for him to bring home and for me to take apart and possibly never put back together. And, you know, I'm thankful to my mom because I had destroyed so many of our home computers, um, downloading things that I shouldn't have and destroying the software and ruining windows and pulling out video cards and, you know, not knowing that I needed to ground myself. And so I'd blown out a CPU one time and, you know, she just kept, you know, putting those things back in on her own dollar. And, you know, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be where I, where I'm at today with technology. So a big thank you to, to, both those uh, embracing parents who definitely understood that that is something that I needed for my brain. And so, yeah, thank you to them. Thank you to my partner who has supported me all the way through the cybersecurity journey from the moment that I decided to the moment of fruition with the OSCP and everything else in between. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be here without them. It seems like you have a really strong family unit and I'm sure your parents are proud of you, Jason. And there you have it, folks. That was Jason Watts sharing his wisdom with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have him on the show. And unfortunately, we had a little bit of a connective dropout just at the end. However, we managed to squeeze in a full serving of his insights before we lost him. If you're hungry for more information about Jason, the OSCP, or eager to dive deeper into the waters of API Sec University, you're in luck. You can find links and resources on the ITSP Magazine website. Consider it your treasure chest of knowledge. For those of you who enjoyed today's show, we have a simple request. Please don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast, Hacking Your Potential. This not only supports us, but also ensures that you won't miss any further episodes. But let's not keep the wealth of information to ourselves. If you know someone who could benefit from the topics we discussed today, do them a favor and share this episode. As the old saying goes, knowledge shared is knowledge doubled. That's it from us today. Remember, here at Hacking Your Potential, we're all about empowering you to unlock your potential and conquer the tech world. I'm your host, Frankie Thomas, encouraging you to stay strong, stay hungry, and keep reaching for those stars. Until next time, keep hacking your potential. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hacking Your Potential podcast with Frankie Thomas part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, 
Then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPMagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.